0: This week on the show, we have TrueOS Stable 18.03 released, we take a look at the F-Stack network protocol, the secret to an open source business model is revealed, we have an intro to jails and jail networking, as well as the FreeBSD Foundation March update and the IPsec erratas for OpenBSD and FreeBSD in this week's episode of BSD Now. <laughs> ESD Now, episode 242, Linux Takes the Past Path, recorded for April 18, 2018. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. Glad that you tuned in this week again. So, time for our headlines this week. I'm a bit sick, so excuse me in advance. Uh, we have TrueOS Stable 18.03 release available. So, yes, that's cool. Uh, so,
1: TrueOS is taken to the year year.month uh versioning scheme uh since it's based on freebsd head so you know it's still version 12 the same as was last time and that doesn't really work so Mm -hmm. they have the date stamp so uh the true os team is pleased to announce the availability of the new staple release of the true os project version 18.03 this is a special release due to the security issues impacting uh, the computing world since the beginning of 2018 in particular it mitigates the meltdown inspector uh Vulnerabilities, uh, and make it necessary to up the entire or update the entire package ecosystem for TrueOS. This release does not replace the scheduled June stable release uh, that is still expected to come out in June, uh, but provides the necessary and expected security updates uh, for the stable release branch of TrueOS, even though it's partway through the normal release cycle. Okay. So covering the important changes between seventeen twelve and eighteen zero three because we were supposed to not have 18 until 1806. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we have the Meltdown and Spectre fixes. Uh, so for Meltdown, this is the uh, kernel page table isolation. Uh, note that virtual machines or jails must also be updated uh, to this version in order to for the security fix to be effective. For Spectre, this release contains uh, or yeah, it contains all current mitigations from FreeBSD head, Uh, which includes uh, all third-party packages for this release, have been recompiled with LLVM slash Clang 6 with the RETPOLINE mitigation strategy. This fixes many memory allocation issues and uh, enforces stricter requirements on code completeness and memory usage within applications. Unfortunately, some third-party applications became unavailable as pre-compiled packages um, because they wouldn't actually compile uh, under these tighter restrictions. Mm -hmm these applications are currently being fixed either by the upstream authors or by the FreeBSD ports maintainers. If there are any concerns about the availability of critical applications for this specific, uh, you know, if if you need one of these applications that's become unavailable, uh, please look through the changelog uh, for packages between 17.12 and 18.03 and verify the status of the application.
0: Yep, but you should uh, still earn on, on the side of security in this one. Just yes. be secure and Keep a little older version around the ports, then they will get updated eventually.
1: Yep. Um, also, note that most systems will need a microcode update for the processor. In addition, uh, for these uh, spectrum mitigations to to be effective, the microcode updates are not enabled by default. Uh, this work is considered experimental because of the active development from the upstream vendors. You know, Intel released the for the microcode and then recalled it, and then released different ones, and then recalled it for some processors and um, so you still have to decide that you want to uh, apply the microcode update manually. Um, but if desired, the microcode updates are available via the dev cpu data package in the app cafe. Uh, install this package and enable the uh, microcode update service, and it will apply the new microcode every time you boot the machine when TrueOS starts. So it means you, if it does cause a problem, you can disable the microcode update service, reboot again, and you'll be back to the original version. Uh, because the way microcode updates work in the OS level is they get reapplied at every boot so that you can just stop that and when it reboots, it'll go back. Uh, only BIOS level updates will uh, make the microcode permanent. Okay. Uh, there's also some other important uh, package changes that happened uh, ahead of schedule because of this. Uh, Libre SSL was updated to 2.6.4. Uh, reminder, LibreSSL SSL is used on TrueOS to build any packages which do not explicitly require OpenSSL. All applications that utilize the SSL transport layer are now running with the latest security updates uh, and browser updates. Keep in mind that many browsers have been uh, are also implemented their own security mitigations for Spectre. Uh, so Firefox was updated to 58.0.2 and Chromium to version 63. And the uh, Qt5 web engine, which covers Cubsilla, uh, Falcon, and a bunch of others, was updated to 5.9.4. Mm-hmm. Okay. That should
0: keep people on the latest releases or latest enough to be uh feature compliant with the latest stuff they need in the desktop. Yep. Uh, so
1: that's 2,461 new packages and 2,984 updated packages. Mm, wow. That's a lot uh, of updates. <laughs> yes. Note that a bunch of the KDE4 packages have been renamed. Uh, and that's why the number of removed packages shows up as 800 and the number of new packages is 2,400 uh, because <laughs> all of the... Um, KDE packages got deleted and re-added with different names, basically. Uh, and many of the new packages are the result of the flavor system, which means that almost every Python port is available in both a Python 2.7 and a Python 3.6 version. Uh, so basically every Python port turned into two ports, uh, and that's why there's so many new ports as well. Mm, don't be scared. Yeah, it's It looks more than it actually
0: is. Yeah, It's just uh, yeah. exchanging a lot of uh, packages. All right, so great release. Uh, definitely check it out and uh, report uh, anything that you find, good or bad, because uh, people who work on this can never get enough uh, praise for their work. Okay, next up is FStack. stack uh, People ask, what is FStack?" So first of all, if you look at this page and scroll down, you see a very nice logo, in my opinion. So they uh, have a little uh, fish icon here. It's uh, Uh, And the introduction reads, um, with the rapid development of network interface cards, the poor performance of data packets processing with Linux kernel has become the bottleneck. So, however, the rapid development of the internet needs high performance of network processing. Kernel bypass has caught up more and more attention. There are various similar technologies. uh, That's not real English. There are various similar technologies. Okay, (laughs) I'll I'll skip to the
1: first correct. I'll take it. Uh, there are various <laughs> similar technologies that have appeared uh, such as dbdk from Intel and NetMap from FreeBSD and pfring. Uh, the main idea with uh, kernel bypass is that Linux is only used to deal with the control flow, deciding how the packet should be managed, but all data streams are processed in user space. Therefore, kernel bypass can avoid the performance bottleneck caused by the kernel packet copying, having to copy it from user space like your web server. So when the packet comes in, it comes into the NIC and it's in the kernel. Then it gets copied out to user space to be processed by, say, your web server. Then the web server writes it to the socket, which copies it back into the kernel. And then the kernel writes it through the NIC driver out to the NIC. Uh, With kernel bypass, basically the, the network driver deposits the information directly into something like dbdk or netmap in user land. So the packet comes in from the driver and goes directly into user land. There it goes into the web server, does the work, and then uh, goes back to DBDK in userland, uh, and then out to the network card.
0: Yeah, it's less back and forth between userland and
1: kernel. Yeah, uh, so it avoids bottlenecks with kernel uh, packet copying, thread scheduling, system calls, interrupts, etc. Especially now that system calls are more expensive because of the meltdown mitigations. Uh, furthermore, kernel bypass can achieve higher performance with uh, multi-optimization methods. Uh, Using various techniques, DPDK can be widely used because it's more uh, thorough isolation from kernel scheduling and active community support. The other reason that they don't usually mention why people do so much kernel bypass on um, Linux is because getting changes into the Linux kernel is difficult and has specific license requirements, whereas running stuff in userland does not. Ah, so, f is an open-source network framework with high performance based on DBDK, with the following characteristics. Uh, one, it's ultra-high-speed uh, network performance, which can achieve uh, network card under full load. Uh, there, there is some English problems on this. But they can handle uh, 10 million concurrent connections and 5 million uh, RPS, which I'm guessing is round trips per second. Uh, yeah, I guess. 1 million... In this context, yes. Yeah. Um, Basically, it transplants a FreeBSD 11.1 user space stack, uh, providing a complete stack function and uh, get rid of a bunch of irrelevant features. So basically, it's the FreeBSD 11.1 network stack ported to the Linux user land. Yeah, that's Uh, important. It supports Nginx, Redis, and a number of other mature applications and services, so you can easily use FSAC for that and with multi-process, uh, multiprocessor architecture, it's easy to extend and it scales well, and it provides micro-thread interface and uh, various applications with stateful um, app, uh, but you can use it to for high performance without uh, processing complex asynchronous logic. And it provides uh, an ePoll KQ interface so that you can have that FreeBSD feature on your <laughs> emulated on your Linux as well. Yep. Uh, so, so they uh, provide a bit of history about where it came from. Uh, so they say in order to deal with the increasingly severe denial of service attacks uh, on their authoritative DNS servers, the company behind this, uh Tencent, um, switched from gigabit Ethernet cards to 10 gigabit Ethernet cards at the end of 2012, but they found several problems, mostly that. Uh, Without using kernel bypass, they still couldn't handle the traffic. After several rounds of investigation, they uh, finally chose to develop their new generation of DNS server directly on dbdk. So basically their DNS server becomes part of the network stack in this case. uh, So that the request comes in, gets processed and goes out and doesn't actually leave the network stack. And it's higher performance. Mm -hmm. And they said that uh, the reason is DPDK provides ultra-high performance and can seamlessly extend to 40 or even 100 gigabit NICs in the future. After several months of development and testing, the DKDNS, uh, a high-performance DNS server based on DPDK, um, officially was released in October 2013. It's capable of achieving up to 11 million uh, DNS queries per second with a single 10 gigabit uh, network card and 18.2 million queries per second with uh, a pair of 10 gigabit cards. Uh, And then we uh, developed a user space TCP IP stack called fstack that can process 0.6 million uh, requests per second with a single 10 gigabit port.
0: Uh, There is a quick start section as well for people who want to try this out and some graphs to uh, look at to see the... uh, benchmark results. Is that it down Uh, there?
1: Yep, there it is. Uh, So they go on to say, with the fast growth of their cloud, more and more services needed high speed network access. Uh, Meanwhile, their F stack was continuously improving uh, and driven by business growth and ultimately developed into a general network access framework. But this TCP IP stack uh, couldn't meet the needs of all these services while continuing to develop and maintain a complete network stack uh, would be high costs, so instead they decided to port the FreeBSD uh, TCP IP stack into F-Stack. Thus we can reduce the cost of maintenance and follow up improvement with the community very quickly. So uh, in addition to that, they also, thanks to libplebnet, uh, I'm not sure what that is, and libuinet, which is a copy of the FreeBSD network stack ported to user land on FreeBSD, uh, and allows you to use it as a library, uh, this work uh, became a lot easier. Okay.
0: Well, it's interesting that they chose that route because uh, I think it's not trivial to uh, to do this kind of uh, porting work.
1: Um, Well, with libuinet net already done, uh, meaning you can run the whole FreeBSD network stack in user space on FreeBSD, once you're in user space, mm. it's probably a lot easier to port it over to Linux. Oh, okay. But then basing it on dbdk there's still quite a bit of plumbing that had to be done, yes. Mm. But, you know, it's... Quite telling that they based even the Linux network stuff here on the FreeBSD network stack, rather than just taking a copy of the Linux networking stack and putting it in user land.
0: Right, that's uh, that. It's certainly interesting to see what uh, comes out of that. Whether they adapt it more, or whether they have some like real-world load benchmarks or something where this really compares to the to the. Non FreeBSD network stack in Linux.
1: Well, yeah, that's what these graphs are. Like they show uh-huh. the requests per oh, right, second yeah, of nginx down, uh, on up. Linux, and it's pretty much stuck at you know two hundred thousand whatever. Uh, and then they show it with the I'm not sure what that si is, uh, but then when they run it with the FreeBSD network stack, suddenly they're doing uh, five million requests a second. Ah, uh, see. It's good for something. And it's licensed under a two-class BSD license.
0: So that's, uh, I guess, the thing to do in this case. And, yep. and uh, if you yeah, look on the display
1: second display. graph here, it shows how it's, uh, the FreeBSD stack scales better based on your number of CPUs. Mm. Very cool. So this week's episode of BSD Now is brought to you by IX Systems head over to ixsystems.com slash BSD now and get in touch with them and tell them about the new server you need. Uh, whether yes. it's something small to go under your desk, a little FreeNAS Mini or a little router or something, uh, or you, know, you need a true rack. You need an entire rack <laughs> of gear. You need some compute nodes, some storage nodes, uh, high availability, 40 gigabit networking, all of it. Um, they can do that too. Yeah, custom build to your
0: requests. Just tell them what kind of uh, solution you want to uh, have or what kind of problem you want to solve. And they will uh, build you a system with their experience because they have built thousands and, I mean, hundreds of thousands of systems, similar purposes or specific customer requirements. And they are the ones who know exactly which kind of components work best together to squeeze out the last bits of performance. And they also use a lot of ZFS in their systems, Open ZFS, that is, for you know not only the data security but also the performance you get out of this.
1: Yeah, um, you know, today is actually April sixth when we're recording this because travel, um, and I got an email this morning uh, from IX saying that my server that I ordered, uh, I guess last Friday, I think, uh, will ship out very uh, probably today. Uh, and that uh, they've done all the things to it to make sure that it'll be exactly how it needs to be configured. So when it arrives uh, on the East Coast uh, at the data center it's going to, they can just plug in the power, plug in the Ethernet, and it'll be good to go.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because how many vendors can provide you with, uh, well, we can build you the system, but we cannot ship it to some kind of remote location that's not the billing address or we cannot ship it in two weeks we have to ship it in exactly when it's finished and don't do any burn-in tests well,
1: for m- most this. yes most other ones is like yes uh if you order one of these we have it in a box uh it's it's ready to go we can ship it today uh or if you want something custom built uh that'll take about a month uh or we don't do custom built. Whereas IX, every machine is custom built, but still shipped quickly and with an accurate uh, estimate. You know, as soon as you order it, you know when it's going to ship. Uh, and you know, it's just that easy. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how to explain it better, but it really is just worlds different than dealing with other hardware vendors. So yep. you should get in touch with IX and just try it for yourself. Explain what you what problem you're having and what the system is going to solve uh, and they will help you build it to do the best job it can do. Yep. And uh,
0: that actually brings us into our next section for this headlines. Uh, and this week we have ne- uh, Leadership is the Secret to an Open Source Business Model by Mike Loth. Uh, this is a Forbes article uh, mm-hmm. with an interview, I guess, yeah, uh, with the CEO of IX Systems. And uh, you can see what the reasons are that they are so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, not just that they sure. have good technology and the people, but also the actual. Uh,
1: it's the philosophy leadership that there. makes the difference here, right? So yeah. they say um, there's a good chance you've never heard. Or, what? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Okay, there's uh, a good chance, you never good chance yeah. you've never heard of open source software, or an even greater one that you've. Uh, Actually, using it every day without realizing it. Open source software is computer software that's available under a variety of licenses that all encourage the sharing of the software and its underlying source code. Open source has powered the internet from day one, and today powers the cloud and just about every aspect of it, from your mobile phone uh, to the Internet of Things. So they go on to talk a little bit about. Their involvement, specifically FreeNAS, is one of two open source operating systems that our company, IX Systems, develops and distributes free of charge, and that is the heart of our line of TrueNAS enterprise storage products. While some of our competitors sell storage software similar to FreeNAS, we not only give it away, but we give it with no strings attached. Uh, Competitors can take FreeNAS and build products based on it with zero obligation to share their changes freedom to do so is a fundamental tenet of permissive licensed open source software and while it sounds self-defeating to be this generous we've proven that leadership not licensing is the true secret to a successful open source business model
0: yeah the, the governance the whole uh yeah leadership the management everything is coming together in this case to make that difference
1: yeah. Uh, so they say we each have our own personal definition of what is fair when it comes to open source. At iX, we made the conscious decision uh, to base FreeNAS and TrueOS on the FreeBSD operating system uh, from the FreeBSD project. We stand by. Uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants by using FreeBSD, and we consider it quite reasonable to give back uh, on the same generous terms that the FreeBSD project offers us. So that's why TrueOS and FreeNAS are under the same license as FreeBSD. We could be selective in what we provide free of charge, but we believe that doing so would be short-sighted. In the long game we're playing, leadership we provide over the open source projects we produce is infinitely more important than any restrictions provided by the license of those or other open source projects.
0: Yeah, that's one of the big
1: differences. Yeah. So they say, uh, 20 years in, we have no real reason to change our free software on great hardware business model, and giving away the software has brought an unexpected side benefit. Uh, We have the largest quality assurance department in the world, staffed by our passionate users who volunteer to let us know every thought they have about our software. We wouldn't change a thing, and we encourage you to find exactly what win-win goodwill you and your community can provide to your constituents to make them n- more than just a customer base, but a community.
0: Mm-hmm. Then they talk a little bit more about uh,
1: driving that conversion conversation or uh, well,
0: conversation, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so. They say it took a leap of faith for us to give away the heart of our product in exchange for a passionate community, but doing so changed our customers' relationship with our brand from one of priced to priceless. Um, This kind of relationship leverages a social contract instead of a legal one. Taking this approach empowers your users in a way they would not uh, experience with other companies, and it is your responsibility to lead rather than to control them in a project like FreeNAS. Right. uh, I think the the point they're really making here is that if they just had a closed source product, some people might buy it, but it wouldn't grow in the same way. Um, By having an open source product, it brings more people into the equation and they get more information to design the next version. So they say one of the keys is to relieve customer pain points with each new release. Uh, you know, Responsiveness to the needs of your constituents is what distinguishes product leadership uh, from product dictatorship. <laughs> uh, be sure to balance your vision of your product and projects with the real-world needs of your users. While our competition can use the software we develop, they will at best wow users with a specific feature rather than a project-wide ecosystem uh, never underestimate how grateful a user will be if you make their job easier yeah all good points here yeah and another one that's especially important in you know the kind of startup environment we're in today except uh, that a patent is not a business model uh, patents are considered the ultimate control mechanism in the technology industry but they only provide a business model if you have a monopoly and monopolies are illegal. (laughs) Uh, Resist getting hung up on the control you can establish over your customers and spend your time acquiring and empowering those customers. The moment you both realize that your success is mutual, you have a relationship that will last longer than any single sale. You'll be pleasantly surprised how the relationship you build will transcend the specific companies uh, that friends uh, that you make and work for. You know, this is like exactly part of the the reason that my company uses ix systems because we didn't just buy some hardware from them we built a relationship and were able to together design this appliance that my company depends on and and it's part of our business model Uh, and we couldn't have got the same level of help building that if we didn't have that kind of relationship with ix Mm. And lastly, uh, they say distinguish leadership from management. Every company has various levels of management, but leadership is the magic that creates markets where they didn't exist before and aligns paying customers with value you can deliver in a profitable manner. Leadership and vision is ultimately the most proprietary aspect of a technology business. Um, Over every patentable piece of hardware or licensed piece of software, you know, it's the leadership that actually makes the difference. Uh, whether you create a new market or bring efficiencies to an existing one, your leadership is your secret weapon, not your level of control.
0: Yep, well said. That's the mm-hmm. the 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 business model. The that's why Ixsystems is so successful. So, time for the news roundup this week. We have an introduction to jails and jail networking on FreeBSD for you. And that's over at Skyforge. We ain't no architects, ain't got the intellect. Uh, that's an interesting <laughs> title for the webpage. Um, but this is part of the BSD Stammtisch in Vienna. So they meet, I think, monthly and they provide notes from their meetings. That's um, what this is all about. And they talked about uh, jails, apparently, and networking in them.
1: Yeah, um, so in particular, this is very much a primer on jails uh, that includes a bunch of bits to help you translate if you've ever used uh, containers on Linux. Um, so it has a little bit extra than rather than just being a jail tutorial, it's also you kind of, your your translation guide, your Rosetta Stone from LXC to jails. Okay, good to know. So. They say, uh, Jails basically partition a FreeBSD system into various isolated subsystems called Jails. Uh, the syscall and user space tools first appeared in FreeBSD 4.0, which came out in March of the year 2000, so 18 years ago.
0: Yeah, don't forget that. It's a long time since we have that for years and years.
1: Yeah. Uh, with subsequent releases expanding the functionality and improving existing features as well as usability. Uh For Linux users, jails are similar to LXC. Uh, They're used for resource and process isolation. Uh, However, unlike LXC, jails are a first-class concept and are well-integrated into the base system. Essentially, however, both offer chroot with some extra separation. It's just jails are a much more mature ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they say, uh, since jails have been around for quite a long time, most of their modern-day equivalents They're fairly well tested and are, as you will see, surprisingly easy to use uh, on any recent release. Uh, So if we actually go through the basics of generating a jail uh, to set one up, it's pretty simple. You just want to place the stuff you want to run, your application or whatever, and the stuff needed by it into a file system. Then you can add the basic configuration to your jail.conf and then start it. So, in this uh, typical scenario, they're going to be using ZFS. Uh, of so course. In, so, they create a new ZFS dataset, jails bsd-test01, and set the mount point. <clears throat> then they download the base system tarball. Uh, so, in addition to the ISO install versions of FreeBSD, uh, you can also download the individual, what are called distributions, or distribution sets, and... Um, There's base.txz, which is the whole base system. Kernel.txz, which is just the kernel. Um, And then there's a debug version of each of those. And then there's a couple special ones like um, lib32, which provides all the 32-bit compatibility for 64-bit stuff, or uh, the source and ports and so on. So um, they download that uh, tarball of the base system and extract it into that bsd-test01 directory. So this is basically a full install of FreeBSD except the kernel, but you don't need the kernel in the jail because you're sharing the kernel from the host system. That's the neat part and saves a bit of space. Yep. Uh, Then for your jail.conf, it's pretty simple. You just uh, specify the command that will start the jail and the command that will stop the jail. Um, You can specify that you want to mount a slash dev in the jail so that you can have dev null and and the, the kind of things you depend on like that. You specify the path, that'll be basically the ch root, so there's their jail slash bsd-test1, and the hostname. There are many other things you can set up, but those are the ones you really care about. So once that's there, you can just run jail-c dash for create and bsd-test01, and it will read the config file, find the jail called bsd-test01, and start it. Then the JLS utility will give you a list of all the running jails, and you can see the jail number, an IP if it has one, host name, and the path. And then the jexec command uh, will allow you to run commands inside the jail. So jexec followed by the name or the ID number of the jail, and then optionally a command will run that command in the jail, or the default is to give you a shell in the jail. So if you've used LXC, then this all looks awfully familiar. Uh, You're pretty much the same stuff you do with LXC, except creating a jail requires no template because installing FreeBSD is just unpacking that tarball. Then they go into a bit more detail about jail.conf and what you can do with it and how comments work in it and so on and special variables. And they show um, how to set defaults. Uh, that apply to all jails and then you know create three jails that all inherit those defaults and so on and they also talk a little bit about the allow parameters which allow um, reduce the security restrictions in the jails if you'd like Uh, and using the ipv6.adder and ipv6.adder to add ip addresses to the jail yep in case you need those uh, but still, it, um, the caution is
0: uh, important here, allowing certain actions may be, or may have unwanted side effects. You may be able to run certain services in your jail, but you also need to be careful not to expose uh, too many services that you don't need, otherwise the jail is less uh, secure.
1: For example, by default, jails cannot create uh, a raw socket interface to create packets, Um that's so that they can't, uh, when you give a jail a specific IP address, it stops it from being able to use any other IP address. Um, Whereas if it can create raw sockets, it can spoof the IP address. It could make whatever one it wanted. Um, Specifically, it could be one of the other addresses of the host, and it could fake something. Um, However, it blocks that. But it also means you can't ping from inside the jail, because you open a raw socket to to write the ICMB packet. Uh, So, You might decide to allow that, but you have to remember that that means you have to be—you know—if you don't really trust the contents of the jail, then you have to watch out for it trying to spoof its IP address and maybe need some firewall rules to uh, filter the outgoing packets. Um, Whereas, if the jail is just because you're running your a single monitoring system in a jail, so it's in a nice container and easy to move to another machine, uh, then maybe you're perfectly fine with allowing it to do pings. Yeah, depends on the use case. Yep. Uh, They do note the one caveat that uh, a lot of people are surprised by, the loopback problem. So by default, a jail can only see and use the addresses that are passed into it from the parent system. This creates a slight problem with the loopback address. The host wants one twenty-seven zero zero one to be the host and doesn't want the jails having access to it. Um, So because of this, When you use the address 127.0.0.1 or colon colon one for IPv6 inside a jail uh, what the jail subsystem does is rewrites that to be the first IP address that was assigned to the jail for v4 or v6. So if you create one jail and in this example they give it the IP address uh, 10.10.0.1 when you ping or try to connect to 127.0.0.1 inside the jail. it actually rewrites that to be ten ten zero one, Which is fine, except for, you know, while this is simple enough and usually works just fine, it also can be a source of problems. Just imagine if in your jail you have uh, a service like Memcache or Redis or uh, MongoDB or something, uh, and your jail has just the one IP address, which is public out to the Internet, uh, the daemon binding to its potentially unsecure control port which it tries to put on loopback so that it wouldn't be on the internet, but that gets rewritten to the public IP address, and you've unwittingly exposed the internet to your memcache server. Hmm. So yeah, that's the most common terrible. way of addressing this is creating a second loopback device like lo one instead of lo zero, um, and assigning an IP address to each jail on it. So you can give you know one twenty seven one dot the jail ID like four. Um, and now each uh, jail will have that loopback address um, as its first address, and that'll work, and it won't leave the machine. And then its second IP address can be the one that faces the internet.
0: Yep, that's all that solves that
1: problem. And they show you how to do that in your uh, rc.conf. They also talk a bit about using the firewall to filter traffic uh, and doing the same thing for IPv6 loopback. Um and then also dealing with the problem, you know, I'm using my DigitalOcean droplet. It only has one public IP address, but I have three jails. How am I going to do this? So they talk about using uh, NAT in the uh, in PF on the host to allow all the jails to get out to the internet and to map certain ports on the public interface into the internal jails. <coughs> Solving all that problem. Then they get into more advanced stuff, including creating thin jails. If you're going to have, you know, 10 or 20 jails on your machine, maybe that's actually going to add up to be enough data that that's going to be a significant amount of your disk space. You know, if you have a small droplet, you only have twenty-five or fifty or sixty gigs. If you're gonna use up a gig for each jail and you're gonna have twenty of them, that's going to run you out of space pretty quick. Mm, that's so why I usually make thin uh, jails. thin jails. You basically create a ZFS dataset and extract the base system to it, then do a little bit of magic to remap some stuff, and you end up with a dataset that is the base system and separately a dataset that inherits just the bits you actually uh, need to customize for each jail. So it shows the, the basics of doing this and setting it up the symlinks, and then suddenly each jail will have its own ETC but all of the operating system bits will be read-only and shared between all the jails. The other nice uh, aspect of this is when it comes time to upgrade, so they show how to upgrade a thin jail, um, you upgrade the thin jail itself once, the template, uh, and every jail is now updated. Yeah, especially now, if you have
0: thousands of those running on the yeah, same so system.
1: Like, well, even just 10, you know, huh. doing the update process once instead of 10 times saves a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. And they have a full guide on how to do it here.
0: Yeah, that's very um, detailed. People can just uh, follow that along. And they yeah. also have some final remarks about how to install packages because they're also integrated with uh, jails. So they know about those. And you can say on the host system, please install in that jail a certain package or update all of this, package knows about jails Um, and can use that. That
1: can be especially useful if the jail doesn't have access to the network to download the package, but the host system does. Uh, But also again on that point that jails are well integrated part of the operating system, the top command knows about jails and can actually show uh, one of the columns in the top will tell you which jail that process is running in. Or you can say with uh, starting top with capital J and a number or name will only show you processes in that jail. Or you can apply that filter while top's already running. So, yep. you know, that's pretty neat. For example, uh, on one of my database servers, I have three different uh, instances of SQL, each running in a different jail. So I run top and I see MySQLD is using up a lot of CPU. It's like, well, which one? So I look over <laughs> the jail column and it tells me which one. Mm -hmm. And I can also do resource control. Uh, In addition to different CPU sets, I can also use the resource control to limit the memory and CPU amounts that any one jail can use so that all three of those database servers get fair access to the resources of the machine and one of them can't just take everything. Yep. so
0: that's the powerful things you can do with jails. So Mm -hmm. we encourage you to try that out, Um, especially following this tutorial along Should get you started fine. And uh, yeah, thanks to the folks uh, at Skyforge to, for the write-up and um, hopefully we'll see more in this. I think they have a couple more blog posts, but we only covered mm-hmm. this one this week. So, Speaking second sponsor for this week. Alan has been mentioning a couple of times already something like Droplets and uh, digital ocean. So, this is our second sponsor for this week. DigitalOcean itself uh, provides you with the ability to host a virtual machine in the uh, evil internet, uh, they can uh, spin up uh, certain applications or just operating systems. And in those operating systems, for example, you can run a couple of jails with an internet facing address. And- uh,
1: The tutorial even shows you how to take the one IP address you get uh, with the droplet and use it for multiple jails. And then you can also combine that with the other feature they have, the floating IP addresses, which allows you to have a static IP address you can move between droplets. one of the other nice things about jails is that you can easily, especially if they're a ZFS dataset, pick them up and move them to another machine and move that whole application without affecting the host system on either one. Uh, well, with the DigitalOcean uh, floating IP addresses, you can then move the IP address uh, along with the jail um, and keep that service up even though you're restarting your different droplets.
0: Yeah, or if your MySQL server runs uh, too high, then you can set a real-time alert and that will alert you that a certain process is running out of bounds or uh, is acting up. That's what DigitalOcean can also provide you with some uh, monitoring of your uh, little droplets. And uh, they give you also a summary dashboard that shows you, oh, how much did you use in CPU or in bandwidth this month or yeah. and since the last time.
1: The nice thing is you can also scale up your droplet. So, if we built this droplet, got it all working, and there are databases on it. And now we need more CPU. So you just click here, click there, one reboot, and suddenly, uh, now you have four more CPUs than you had before.
0: Yeah, especially without, you know, shutting down and uh, all restarting the uh, droplet again, installing everything again. You just make the the virtual hardware bigger and yep. you can run your system as it was before, just
1: with more horsepower. Yeah. And as you can see here on the page, they support FreeBSD as a first-class citizen.
0: Yes, that's why you should use our coupon code when you use uh, uh, their, well, not just the registration system, but when you spin up a droplet. Uh, the code is uh, FreeBSD now, which gives you a $10 credit that you can use and uh, to experience the DigitalOcean Cloud and try it out for yourself.
1: Yeah, and since droplets start as little as five dollars each uh per month, that means, you know, that ten dollars will go relatively far. Uh plus they have lots of other features now. It's not just uh, you know, a FreeBSD server running in the cloud that starts in fifty seconds. You get there's monitoring, there's a cloud firewall, they have team management features, which is really nice when you have to work with other people. Uh they provide backups for I think it's one quarter of the price of the droplet or whatever, and there Mm -hmm. are snapshots. So you can clone and recreate and revert and roll back your whole droplet. So it's a great place to be experimenting with stuff because you can always go back to a snapshot or take a snapshot and then start a copy of it and so on. And then they offer block storage, uh, which allows you to have up to 16 terabytes of data as an external drive basically connected to your droplet. Uh, and you'll be able to move that between droplets. Uh, their spaces system which is a uh, object storage so if you want to store objects instead of blocks uh, they have a load balancer so if you have multiple droplets you can balance the load across them allowing you to add extra droplets at the hourly price when you need them and get rid of them when you don't and the floating IP system which allows you to do seamless upgrades by you know you can have your existing running system it's all good you snapshotted it, you started another droplet, you upgraded all the software on it, you got it all perfect, you float the IP over to the new one, you see how the website works. If something goes bad, you just float it back to the other one and you get to fix it with the old one still running the whole time. And then eventually the new one takes over and you can delete the old one.
0: Yeah, and if you want to know how to make certain things work in the first place, then check out the community section and the tutorials. There's a lot of information how to make open source software work not only in DigitalOcean, but in general. So, for example, you want to know how to run a Cassandra cluster. That's what I was looking at recently. That's a nice tutorial they've written there, or that community members have written there. And um, that gets you started with pretty much everything that you can run nowadays.
1: Yep, and they have a really nice API with examples for a bunch of different programming languages, but they also have the DOCTL uh, command line tool so you can do it all without having to actually write any code
0: yeah just from the terminal you specify certain things and magically your or less magically your little droplets will do certain things like uh, shutting down or resizing themselves
1: yeah so check it out go over to digitalocean.com sign up and use the coupon code freebsd now
0: all right So, next up, we have a new release of SmartOS. So, this is 2018, uh, 03.15, which translates to uh, March, I guess. Yep. And this one is basically listing... This
1: one's uh, big news for other reasons. Uh, So, Hmm. from the mailing list post, it says, Hello, all. The latest biweekly release branch uh, of SmartOS is up. And they provide the the commands to download uh, the latest iso or the latest memstick or the latest vmware image uh, and they have a changelog here and they say this uh, the full build bits uh directory is also available uh, there they say the highlights this time is that firewall rules created with the fw admin tool can now use the priority keyword to specify a higher precedence for the rule meh uh, this release also includes <laughs> mitigations for the Intel Meltdown vulnerability in the form of kernel page table isolation and the process context ID support. I was like that's good, but not yep. that exciting. And oh, Last this but release least. also includes experimental support for Beehive. Yes, ah, that's the one. Uh-huh. That's why it's in the news. I yeah, it's wondering.
0: not. It's not Smart as now. It's still BSD now, but we wanted to mention that they are using Beehive now in their branded zones.
1: Yes. Uh, Well, it's experimental support. Uh, You can use one or the other, uh, and they have locking to make sure you don't try to do both. (laughs) Um, But yes, so every second Thursday they update uh, SmartOS, so I'm guessing there's a newer one out uh, yesterday. uh, Or last week, I guess. Um, But this allows you to use uh, the SmartOS tools uh, and basically create a zone which is kind of like the Illumos version of a jail and inside of that run beehive and so you can actually see here uh our producer uh TJ or JT uh fired this up on one of his machines and you can see uh sysinfo here you can see he's running uh actually the 0329 uh version of smart os um on his HP ProLiant DL980G7, um, which has uh, an e 74870 uh, with lots of cores at 2.4 gigahertz uh, for a total of 160 CPU cores <laughs> and 256 gigs of memory. Uh, and it says Beehive capable is true and max VPC uh, use is 32.
0: Oh, yes, that's a certain number of CPUs you can dedicate mm-hmm. to your little virtual machines here in the Beehive. Or
1: big virtual machines, I suppose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cool, cool. That's a good development here from the uh, smartOS people. We, we covered this a couple of times that we have a good working relationship with them and they like Beehive very much, so they're um, trying to get away from KVM a little bit more and Beehive mm-hmm. is one of those efforts.
1: Yeah. So we look forward to, right, nice to hearing see. more with that. And if you have downloaded this Smart OS and actually run something under Beehive on a Lumos, do let us know how it went. Yeah, or try to import a FreeBSD
0: Beehive VM that you created on FreeBSD and well, vice it, versa. A,
1: because of raw disk images, it should just work, yeah.
0: Yeah. So good good things then in, uh, in terms of you know compatibility between systems. Yep. And next up, we have the FreeBSD Foundation March 2018 newsletter. So remember, we're now doing this monthly. Uh, we did this before, well, we skip, skipped a little bit back and forth about quarterly uh, newsletters, but now we are doing the monthly ones because there's so much good stuff to report. We might as well do this in the month that's uh, where this is happening. So it covers a couple of areas, including the side channels, which covers the FreeBSD journal, and of course, uh, why choose FreeBSD, which has a certain scale engine uh, user report about how and why Alan Jude mm-hmm. is using that but yeah um, this is um, typical testimonials from the people that are happy using the uh, FreeBSD uh, services and in the actual updates there is uh, project development updates about the sys color update I'm not sure whether we covered this uh, in the past really, no. so um, there's that's an effort for um, uh, fuzzing the FreeBSD system a little bit more, make, trying to expose certain errors that only happen in very rare or very crazy circumstances. and
1: that Right, in particular, if somebody puts invalid data into the parameters of a system call, um, yeah. and we don't necessarily catch that uh, when we should. Yeah, and uh,
0: so um, SysCaller is one of those systems to, to try that. And uh, so SysCaller is a coverage-guided system call fuzzer. And it invokes basically syscalls with arbitrary and changing inputs, like crazy random data, and is intended to use code coverage data to guide changes to system call inputs in order to access larger and larger portions of the kernel in the search for bugs. Yeah, so uh,
1: the way the code coverage stuff works is it can look at like an if statement and be like, okay, so we want to make sure that when we're fuzzing, we provide an input that goes through the if statement and one that goes through the else of it. Or whatever, uh, and make sure that the fuzzing actually tests every possible path through the code. Yeah, even the ones who who would ever enter that. But yeah, people. Yeah, and well, systems in particular, it's that's exactly crazy. where you're going to find the bugs are the paths that people don't normally end up taking, or that under normal circumstances are never taken. Uh, but the code coverage stuff will make sure that they actually are.
0: Yeah, and uh, so at MAST, who is um, heading our little development office in uh, in Canada. And it's a little, uh, you know, side office that we have there. Uh, he's taking a couple of co-op students and last term students focused, uh, or one of them, focused largely on scripts to deploy and configure the syscaller on packet.net's hosting infrastructure, but they didn't have time uh, because, you know, the term is only so long, um, to do the actual code coverage integration required for the syscaller to be effective. And, This actual terms co-op student, Mitchell Horn, has been adding code coverage support for FreeBSD uh, for syscaller. And we also provide a little uh, information what uh, syscaller is. It's basically um, uh, a part of that is the program called KCOV and it's uh, purpose-built for syscaller. And KCOV actually provides code coverage collection for coverage-guided fuzzing, which is randomized testing, as Alan mentioned. And coverage-guided fuzzing is a testing technique that uses coverage feedback to determine new interesting inputs on a system, like that if statement.
1: Yeah, like what, what does the fuzzer have to do to make this other branch of the code happen?
0: Yeah, or pass crazy things to a function and things like that. So... Um, Mitchell actually implemented equivalent functionality for FreeBSD, a distinct implementation but modeled uh, on the one in Linux. And these patches are currently in review, but uh, minor changes are needed for syscaller to use in the new interface on FreeBSD. And we still have some additional work to fully integrate SysCaller and run it on a consistent basis. But the brief testing that we've been completed suggests this work will provide a very valuable improvement in test coverage and opportunities for system hardening. We tested SysCaller with Mitchell's code coverage patch for over uh, over the weekend, and it provoked kernel crashes hundreds of times faster than without this work. Because if you just draw random numbers out of a hat and try this, you may be lucky yeah. one in a thousand times. But, right, um,
1: whereas... When you're making sure you're touching every option, it makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. So that's that work. Uh, and, uh, people can look out for uh, that one. Next up is we have a little fundraising. Well, not so little, actually. We have a fundraising update uh, because we have a nice donation from NetApp, which um, is a uh, recurring uh Sponsor over the years, uh, NetApp has been always been very uh, kind to us and uh, gave us a lot of money for uh, efforts in the FreeBSD operating system. So uh, that gave them um, the status of an iridium partner, which is typically a donation between 100,000 and 250,000 dollars, minus one dollar. Uh, so very very grateful for NetApp for. Um, Doing this and uh, recognizing that the importance of supporting our efforts in the FreeBSD, uh, not only the foundation, but also in the whole community, uh, allows us to continue to provide software improvements, advocacy for FreeBSD, um, the staff that we have for release engineering, for all the, the efforts to provide these these things. That That's what the, the money is for, and that's why this is needed to keep this up. So, um, thank you very much for uh, NetApp, and um that's um, in this fundraising update here. Uh, we have two conference recaps also in this report. Uh, the one first one is FOSS Asia. Most people haven't heard about this. This is a new thing that we did uh, start to participate in last year, and this one is a repeat. This is typically two weeks around or the week after uh, Asia BSDCon, so mm-hmm. uh, maybe in the future, if people are still in the area, they might um, wanna uh, go to that one as well. It's in China. And uh, we sent our foundation director, Philip Peps, uh, to that one uh, with a large bag of, you know, uh, stickers and swag to to hand out to the conference because it's a huge conference. Uh, It's comparably Mm -hmm. sized like uh, FOSDEM, so I haven't been myself, but from what he reports, it's it's a huge conference. And uh, uh, we had a little booth there with people... Uh, Helping out and handing out, uh, you know, stickers and uh, stuff and info material. Uh, And so, uh, Philip writes, our booth had a constant stream of traffic over the weekend, and we handed out hundreds of FreeBSD stickers, pens, and flyers. Many attendees of FOS Asia Asia, uh, had never heard of FreeBSD before and are now keen to start exploring and perhaps even contributing. By the end of the conference, there were FreeBSD stickers everywhere. And on a particular hallway track conversation he had uh, led him to an invitation to present FreeBSD at a Women who code evening in Kuala Lumpur later that week. Uh, That already happened on Thursday uh, in March. And uh, so he spent the days after the conference meeting companies who use or want to use FreeBSD in Singapore, which is also good. So we can have a a collaborative conversation there and maybe Mm -hmm. something will come out of that. Uh, the second conference report is from our uh, executive director, Deb Goodkin. She went to scale 16. Uh, that's in parallel to or roughly overlapping with Asia BSDCon, I think, yep. this year. And uh, the foundation sponsored a free BSD table in the expo hall that was staffed by not only her, by Drew Levine as well, as well as uh, Warren Block. And they helped out while Deb Goodkin uh, went to a couple of tutorials and talked to other open source leaders uh, who were there to, um, you know, find common ground and, you know, talk about common issues and things like that. Um, they they write, they had a steady flow of people stopping by our table, asking inquisitive questions and picking up some cool swag and FreeBSD handouts. So Deb took a couple of tutorials and trainings there. She had the chance to talk about uh, open source uh, issues or the project leaders there. Um, about common uh, issues that we have because there are also other foundations there and actually next year uh, they have the opportunity to have a BSD track there so similar to the BSD dev room at Fosdem. and they're looking for volunteers in the Southern California area who can help organize this so it's it's, uh, maybe a one or two day event and uh, if you're interested in that then reach out to us and we'll try to uh, bring people together to have a BSD track there would be nice to have Next up, uh, we had a roll call by our own, uh, yeah, Ann Dickinson, who does our uh, marketing or most of our marketing there. Uh, so she did a, a social media uh call for uh, who uses FreeBSD, and a bunch of people responded uh, with examples and interesting use cases where uh, FreeBSD is used in their companies or in education and universities. So, that's an interesting thing. And if you are a company uh, and interested in uh, you know following up on that, then send that information to info at FreeBSDFoundation.org. And uh, that might be a usage story or a little testimonial. So, that's certainly um, something we... could could use on our website and uh, tell people about it. And last but not least, we have a new hosting partner, the Oregon State University Open Source Lab. So what's this all about? Uh, We're pleased to announce that the Oregon State University, uh, or OSU, the open source lab uh, there, which hosts infrastructure for over 160 different open source projects. So not just us, it's 160 other people. uh, They have agreed to host some of our servers for free BSD development. Thanks for that. The first server, which should be arriving shortly, uh, we shipped an HP Enterprise ProLiant DL360 Generation 10 configured with NVDIMMs uh, because we're doing NVDIMM uh, development. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that uh, Meltdown Inspector is getting a little bit uh, uh, better figured out now. And that's what uh, people in the foundation on staff were working on, uh, not exclusively, but uh, they were working on that before those uh, exploits came out. And those systems will be used to test this on real hardware, not just in some kind of simulator.
1: Right. So, yeah, with NVDIM, that's RAM, sticks of RAM that don't forget things when you power the system off. So yeah. It's, it's a- going to change a lot of things in computing. And so getting early access to that from HP and getting FreeDBSD to, to have good support for it is a, an important role. And I'm glad the foundation is stepping up there.
0: Yeah. So your donations keep uh, efforts like this uh, rolling. And um, we have uh, I just uh, this week had a nice or very interesting, well, they're always interesting. uh, We had a foundation monthly board call. And you can stay tuned for more exciting news uh, in May. So we're, Mm -hmm. of course, covering that when it comes out.
1: And I also say the foundation would like to thank uh, Michael Ruan and his team at HP... Enterprise in Taiwan for providing access to this uh, Gen 9 and Gen 10 systems uh, for these NVDM testing. Yeah,
0: excellent. Thanks for your support. And it's time for the Beastie Bits this week, Uh, starting with Curl is 20 today. Whoa, it seemed like yesterday that it came out, but no, it's 20 years, 1998. 2018
1: and going strong so Mm -hmm. here's a little uh it's uh, interesting to read about him (laughs) Uh, first a quick reminder of the state of popular culture at the time about three days after curl came out the movie titanic came out and you know ended up winning 11 academy awards and so on and its theme song hit the top of the charts and so on Uh, but a little background Uh, the author of curl was 27 years old at the time I'm working full-time as a software engineer, mostly on embedded systems. Uh, they've been developing software for, as a professional for a number of years, but at this time they were involved as a consultant in a rather boring project at uh, Ericsson Telecom in Stockholm. At some point during that particular Friday, don't remember the details, but presumably it happened during the late evening, <laughs> I packaged up the source code of the URL transfer tool, we you've been working on, and uploaded it to my personal website to share it with the world. It was the first ever release of a project that, uh, under a new name, CURL. The tool was already supporting uh, HTTP, FTP, and Gopher, including uploads to the first two of those protocols. It would take uh, more than a year uh, after the day until we started uh, hosting our CURL project on its own dedicated website, curl.hacks.nu, went live in August of 1999, and was changed again to curl.hacks.se in June of the following year, a uh, URL that they've kept ever since. Oh, oh nice yes, history. I, I think their original logo is based on one of those old-fashioned GIF logo generators from back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah, I see. <laughs> and their tagline was literally, a client that groks the URLs. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> well,
0: twenty years is a long time as for an open source project. That's certainly a long history. Oh, and they talk about you know what kind of old systems they or yeah, old by today's standards, of course.
1: A uh, first generation Pentium 120 megahertz desktop with a 19 inch uh, CRT monitor, which was Hughes for the time. Uh, bunch of interesting stuff to to look at from back then. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, there's some statistics down there. Growth factors over 20 years in the project.
1: Uh, supported protocols. Seven point, uh, 7.67 times as many protocols, nine times as many command line options, 75 times as much source code, 100 times as many people uh, contributing, and 1,400 times as many visitors to the website, and 4 <laughs> million times as many end users. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And stickers with the curl logo, infinity. Yes, they went... They had many more because they were no stickers originally.
0: Very cool. So yeah, congratulations and go uh, no, until the next twenty years. Yeah. So next is a note on System uh, Five IPC and jails on FreeBSD. Uh, this ties into yeah. our uh, jails networking section
1: we had earlier on. Yeah. So if you're uh, if you follow the network guide or the curl or- the jails guide we covered earlier in the show and you want to run something that uses uh, system 5 ipc like say postgres or something um, then they provide some extra details on how to configure that and how with modern jails you can actually have separate uh, system 5 namespaces for each jail so that you don't have as many complications of trying to run multiple postgres on the same system mm. and that's what this tutorial is all about So it's a nice little add-on to the jail tutorial from earlier.
0: Yeah, excellent. So people can jail all the way until we have our next episode. Um, Yeah, uh, next is a little OpenBSD. Not only OpenBSD, but uh, other BSDs as well. There's a little errata about IPsec people should be aware of who are using IPsec. Uh, It's short um, and sweet but still uh, nevertheless important. Um, the radar patches for IPsec have been released for OpenBSD 6.2 and 6.1. Uh, the IPsec authentication header uh, yeah, could be longer than the network packet, resulting in a kernel crash. Uh, binary updates for the IMD64, I3.86 and ARM64 platforms are available, and you can use syspatch, of course, to update your system.
1: Yep, and then uh, also that errata for IPsec and another one for VT, which is the virtual terminal system on FreeBSD, were released. Uh, They have a bit more detail here, but uh, the length field of the options header does not count the size of the option header itself. This causes a problem when the length is zero and the count is then incremented by zero, which causes an infinite loop and uh, you end up making a packet that's too big. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so there's uh, security work being done in one way or the other. Um, there's more coming. We can't talk about it yet, but um, well, it's just showing that people are working on security.
1: I, don't I know really things like, like anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll Next, see. we have twenty-three useful package commands uh, for managing your packages on FreeBSD. Some of I I feel like they stretch to get to the number twenty-three. You know, one of the commands a is bit. doing ls on user ports, which gives you a list of the That's categories. That's the first command? OK.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, OK. Uh, 22 and a little bit more.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, if you want to search for, say, MongoDB, don't run ls user ports databases pipe grep MongoDB. In no, no, no. The root of Save user ports, do make search key equals MongoDB. And you'll get, or name equals MongoDB, and you'll get a lot more useful information. Try uh, man ports if you want to know some more of these interesting ones. But they do, in fact, actually have some useful ones in here, uh, both the, yeah. the locate database, package search, yeah. the package search command, uh, and lots of other interesting things. So if you are pretty new to using the package command and want to learn some stuff, you should check out uh, this short tutorial, which covers things including like package lock to make sure that a certain package doesn't get upgraded or changed, uh, which is quite nice, or package which, uh, which can tell you which uh, package a certain file comes from.
0: Mm, That's a lot of things. Some of these you use more often and others you use only occasionally, but it's good to know these in
1: case you need them. Yes, Uh, also package audit, which uh, checks all your installed packages against known vulnerabilities so that you can find out, oh, look, uh, my version of NGINX is vulnerable, I should upgrade, or whatever.
0: Mm. Yeah, just in case, so that you can get the latest and greatest updates. Of course, what is also available in the ports collection is our sponsor for this section here in the feedback and questions, Tarsnap, of course. You can get the Tarsnap client via ports and packages on FreeBSD and package stores, all the most popular Unix systems and even Windows uh, Mm -hmm. so you can do your online backups for being truly paranoid in this regard. Because if you're backing your important files up into the cloud, you want to make sure no one else can access them, uh, you should be the only person holding the keys to the fort to unencrypt the backups in case you need them again. So that's what
1: TarsNet provides. Yeah, uh, because the Blocks are encrypted, uh, so they're segmented into chunks. Um, that's one of the things that's interesting about Tarsnap is that the chunks aren't of a fixed size. They're not like you know every 4K or something. It actually has an algorithm that figures out what the logical chunk size is for each individual file. So it can make sure that changes to that file are more likely to make a single block change instead of a multi-block change. So it chunks your file up based on what the file looks like. Then it deduplicates to make sure you don't upload blocks you've already uploaded uh, so that you can have, you know, common blocks are only stored once. Then it compresses all that data and then it encrypts it and signs it and sends it to the cloud. The reason it does it that way is that means an attacker that doesn't have the key cannot decrypt your data, they cannot modify your data, and so they can't do anything. Um, the key only exists on your machine. Whereas if you use some other backup services like Dropbox or something, they claim they encrypt everything, but they encrypt every file with the one key that's theirs. So they have access to decrypt everything. That's not Mm. very useful. And you've seen with other backup providers, you have this problem where you delete something and then it magically gets undeleted or you've deleted it, but it's still in their backups. Uh, With Tarsnap, you don't have that problem because all you do is rotate your key come up with a new encryption key and destroy the old one and now the only way to decrypt your old backups is with a key that no longer exists because you destroyed it so now no one can access it so it's actually destroyed whereas marking it as deleted doesn't actually destroy anything
0: Yeah, things like that let you sleep a little bit easier and knowing that your backups are secure and you can retrieve them anytime there's a disaster or you need the files back, you can just use TarSnap or the TarSnap client to retrieve those securely.
1: So I got my TarSnap bill uh, just the other day for all of March uh, and it was a bit bigger than usual because I wrote more files as I did my taxes. Uh, So that meant my TarSnap bill uh, was 17 cents and it's, uh, it's really making me rethink using TarSnap because it's just so expensive. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's just uh, horrendously... Can you still buy a food? Uh, okay. I, I, I'll be okay.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I'm relatively yeah. well off, but I'm <laughs> other people who can't afford 17 cents. Yeah. Uh, you know, sleep properly at night knowing your files are safe. Just back them up with TarSnap. And, you know, as we covered last week, it is still the only secure backup mechanism. So you should do it.
0: Yeah. All right. Time for the feedback and questions this week. Uh, first one is Casey with Cool Editor. Oh, that's probably a editor suggestion from the title. Uh, Casey writes, I have not used this yet, but it looks like it's nice. It is licensed permissively. Uh, I will try it out this week. Uh, here's the link. Uh, the GitHub. Uh, it's called Micro. It is cross-platform. It is written in Go. And it is supposed to be like a slightly more capable but still easy to use nano replacement with full mouse support even. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I should take a look at that after I did all my ad mastery uh, editing. Um, <laughs> well, um, oh, here we go. Oh, it's split screens and all that. Oh, cool. Yeah, in case you still haven't found your favorite editor yet, that's one more you can try mm-hmm. out. Uh, is that in the ports collection?
1: I think so. Um, I don't know if it's there yet, but it, I imagine it will be soon, especially if it's yeah, useful. Yeah, then someone will pick it up.
0: Ah, no, there it is. Editor slash Micro. Okay, thanks for the suggestion. It's always uh, good to broaden our palette of uh, open source editors or tools on Unix, because there's always more than one way to skin a cat. And next up is uh, Nelson. A new article on FreeBSD versus macOS. Uh, so that goes. This new research article published today might be useful for future BSD Now TV commentary. Uh, oh yeah, here's the, um, the LaTeX uh, bibliography article. Uh, it's called uh, Mac OS versus FreeBSD, a comparative evaluation.
1: Yeah, so it's from the uh, computer journal, so computer.org. Uh, and it says FreeBSD and open source Unix-like OS and Apple's Mac OS, are similar BSD functionality, but take different approaches. FreeBSD implements a traditional compact monolithic Unix kernel, whereas uh, macOS builds the BSD Unix functionality on top of a mock microkernel. The authors provide an in-depth technical investigation of both approaches, and you can find this on pages 44 through 53 of uh, volume 51, number 2 of Computer Journal.
0: Okay, so... Uh... So yeah, thanks for the link. Uh, always good to have that in bibliography mode in case uh, people in LaTeX want to cite those, or in other ways in uh, text uh, systems, text processing systems. Uh, next up is Damien, uh, mysterious reverse proxy five oh four. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. a mystery. Here we go. Um, the rsync list at uh, samba.org uh, about rsync. No, nope, you skipped a Oh, I skipped tab. one. Sorry, didn't want to do that. Uh, ah, that's R-Sync the, wrong. Is the Next story. Yeah. That one goes. Uh, yeah, this one is the one. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks again for the fantastic show. Thank you for the feedback. Uh, this is my second time writing in, and unfortunately this time I have a problem. I was wondering if you might help me solve. Uh, I've had a bit of a mystery come up. I have this digital ocean droplet with multiple jails. Well, see, it already <laughs> is ahead of us in this episode. Uh, this, uh, the setup is like this. Uh, one Nginx reverse proxy jail, one MySQL jail, and three Apache 2.4. Uh, slash PHP jails running Drupal. Uh, This droplet has been checking along just fine for about a year or so with minimal maintenance headaches. Today, all of a sudden, only one of the sites is down. The reverse proxy is serving a 504 error page, and I can't seem to figure out why. Uh, I've tried restarting the reverse proxy, restarting PF, restarting Apache on a Drupal jail, and double-checked all the configs. I checked with Drupal's CLI utility called DRush, and the status is showing that the site running uh, site is running just fine. Nothing has been altered, so I'm kind of a loss uh, at the moment as to what I could have brought uh, about this. So do we have any suggestions?
1: Uh, so a 504 error is caused when the reverse proxy can connect- make a connection to the backend, which in this case is one of the Apaches, I'm guessing. Uh, so what I would suggest is on the reverse proxy, turn the debugging level of on in the log file, up to debug and try to make a connection and see what it logs. But mostly it sounds like the Nginx reverse proxy jail cannot connect to the Apache. So you wanna make sure that the Apache is running and that the IP address as listed in the Nginx jail is correct and mostly that the Nginx can connect to the Apache. So in the Nginx jail, you might try using Netcat or Telnet to connect to the IP import of the Apache and see if you actually just get a connection or not. and, and check you can, your logs. And that kind of gives you an idea of why. Yeah. Um, and yes, check all the you logs. might also, uh, on the host, um, if you man. Is it pflog? What's the name of the device? Uh,
0: yeah, I know. We have pflog. pflog0. Yeah, so if you man
1: pflog, in the examples at the bottom, there's the example of the TCP dump command you use to uh, capture the logs from pf. And. Um, So if you add the log keyword to your drop or block uh, commands in your pf.conf, it will log when it drops something. And then with the TCP dump, you could capture that, and you could actually see if pf is blocking your packet. But yes, first step, uh, modify the config of the Nginx and change the verbosity level of the error log up to debug and see if that gives you some insight in why the Nginx can't connect to the Apache.
0: Uh, uh, Oh, reading ahead a little bit, uh, he has a follow-up. I dug around and noticed that one of my domain's Let's Encrypt certs has expired. The the DNS it's connected to does not have an API, so I have to update it uh, using the manual DNS verification method. Uh, He's using acme.sh. I have to eventually reconfigure all my domains to use DigitalOcean's DNS so I can automatically renew this in the future. Okay, thanks again. It's you at BSD Oh, yeah, excellent.
1: That would be good um, to... Other thing I've been doing with that is Acme.sh supports a um, stateless mode now uh, where you can actually, you could make the Nginx on your reverse proxy uh, if it has access to the private key of your Let's Encrypt account key uh, to basically auto sign things for you. Uh, So any request that comes from your account uh, can be automatically approved uh, by your Nginx without having to actually create the individual files. Um, and then sometimes that's easier than doing the DNS one. Mm-hmm.
0: But he, uh, as he writes, uh, I like what he says is, I'm a web developer that has tried to teach himself some system administration, which is also good because then you can see both sides of what's needed to run uh, a website or mm-hmm.
1: uh, develop in the, on the internet. Yeah, so definitely... Um, s- I would say NGINX is probably logging the error, uh, and if not, just turn up the verbosity and make sure you actually define an error log and are looking for that log. Um, um, log reading is a skill. Is, it's PF or something uh, stopping you from being able to connect the NGINX to the specific Apache for the site that's down. Um, it could be either that Apache not running, that Apache taking too long to answer, uh, or um, something else. But the log file will at least give you an idea. The other thing to look at is how long does it take for that 504 to come up? If it's coming up instantly, that means the connection is being stopped or blocked or the port's not open or something. Whereas if it takes a long time and then times out, it means that it's taking time and then timing out, which is either blocked by the firewall. And so the firewall just drops the packet but doesn't actually send back a a rejected message, uh, which would, you know, mean it just has to wait for the timeout uh, or that, you know, the Apache is taking a very long time to actually um, generate the page, which I suppose is a possibility, but uh, I wouldn't expect it to take, you know, 30 seconds to generate your Drupal page, so I doubt that's a problem. Mm.
0: Yep. So, yeah, definitely. uh, If we get approached at BSD Can by a mysterious person calling himself, hey, I'm the mysterious reverse proxy uh, uh, (laughs) person, Then we know who that is. Okay. Yeah, definitely reach out and uh, we'll we'll
1: talk some more there. People write in with these things and we try to help them and we don't hear back. We don't know if we helped or not. So if it does, if you do find out what the problem was, just let us know. (laughs) We'd like, even if we don't put it in the show, it's just for us to know that we actually managed to help you.
0: We we guessed right. Yeah. Okay, um, last but not least is Nelson, now the correct email, uh, about FreeBSD rsync nasty bug, uh, which is now fixed. Oh, that sounds interesting. So that goes. The rsync list at you know, samba.org uh, and uh, the rsync list uh, in Mailman uh, for the last few days has had several messages about a problem that was reported wherein an rsync to a ZFS target machine did not diagnose an error when the target disk filled up or the target user quota was exceeded with the result that the assumption of a correct copy was violated so why are you using rsync with zfs but yeah anyway well they're copying
1: uh, from some system that's probably not zfs to a probably. zfs backup server
0: yeah, okay that's legitimate <laughs> that so this was taken uh, this has, has taken a fair amount of detective work but it now appears that OpenZFS on freebsd may have been the culprit which likely means that GhostBSD, BSD, Harden BSD, TrueS, and possibly also the several Solaris family operating systems and OpenZFS on GNU Linux will need patches. And there's a fix announcement on FreeBSD 10 and 11. And there's a review, basically, about it. And in view of this being a serious hole in the otherwise stable and reliable ZFS file system for more than 12 years, it may deserve discussion on an upcoming BSD Now TV webcast.
1: So this was a problem with the FreeBSD port of ZFS? It was not a ZFS bug? it was a freebsd integration bug um okay. and it was fixed in december it was it was, ah. it was fixed uh before december and then merged into uh freebsd 10 and 11 in december ah excellent that's the
0: the way i want to see bugs fixed uh when they are reported so they already fixed but yeah good to know about this that this is this this yes. could have been uh, an issue
1: yes yes uh the quota one is definitely a bigger problem, but you know, don't let your ZFS run out of space. That's a thing you really don't want to do anyway. It causes all kinds of other problems. But yes, this was a bug. Uh, and if you look at the diff, you see it's mostly removing the FreeBSD-specific code and doing what a Lumos does.
0: Yeah, do the right thing, and then these kinds of problems go away.
1: Uh,
0: but we thank also you for uh,
1: alluding us to that, because I was not aware about yeah. this out-of-space bug. Yep,
0: so keep your systems updated and update packages and all that so you're on the safe side. Definitely send us more feedback and questions. Uh, Everything that you find, everything that's on your mind about the BSDs, uh, questions, comments, show notes, uh, ideas that you want to see in future episodes, send those to feedback at bsdnow.tv and we'll cover it in the future
1: episode. Thanks for watching. um, You know, We're pre-recording a bit here, so we're eating up feedback at an alarming rate. So please (laughs) send us more feedback so we don't run out.